0: ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald.
1: Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald and I am so excited today because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics and actually a couple of topics. One is talking about wisdom and there are so many different ways that we garner wisdom in our life. The other part of the topic is all about relationship and we're going to be talking today about the profound relationship between a grandmother and a granddaughter and I would like to welcome as our guest today Gabrielle Taylor. Gabrielle, welcome.
0: Great. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, it is just a pleasure. And you are coming to us from Denver. What's the weather like in Denver?
0: You know, it is a beautiful and balmy 30 degrees in Denver on this (laughs) fine January day. Those words don't go together. (laughs) It It is balmy because it was only 10 degrees last week. So I am embracing the additional 20 mother nature is giving us today. <laughs> well, I moved to Florida 20 years ago to escape oh, forever the uh
1: the effects of of the white stuff you call snow. Our white stuff here is sand and I much prefer that.
0: You are the envy of the entire country at this point. <laughs>
1: well, I, I saw something. I, I don't know. It popped up on my phone saying that there were uh, 49 states that had snow on the ground, and I guarantee you were not one of them. <laughs> yeah, you're the one <laughs> that is not in that camp. Well, no, they must have been counting you in Hawaii, 48, because like, yeah, uh, us in Hawaii, exactly. Or, or maybe the, the Panhandle talking? got a little. Yeah. Well, you know that's possible. I didn't even didn't even do my my research there. Um, we're going to be talking today about your book, uh, which is called The Legacy of Wisdom. Uh, but before we dive into that, I know our listeners would love to hear uh, a snapshot of you. And of course, we're going to be talking about your relationship with your grandmother. But why don't you give us uh, a little bit of insight into who you
0: are? Absolutely. I am uh, right now closing in on fifty. And that's important because I spent most of my life in the workforce and had children at a later date. So now I do part-time consulting, management consulting, and I have two preteen daughters uh, that we are currently trying to hone and groom for a successful adult life. And um, before having my, my two daughters, I was involved in corporate America for quite a long time. And I was also involved in the legal industry and went on to consulting after completing uh, an MBA at University of Chicago in finance Mm. and marketing. And I had spent my early years an undergraduate uh, working towards a degree in economics and statistics. So my professional life and the way I look at the world is heavily in terms of econometrics, in business terms. And that is the way I approach also child rearing. So one of the important aspects of my life was my relationship with my grandma. And Mm -hmm. we understood and started learning about how to best approach life and be the most productive through the eyes of someone in business. And that has pretty much defined my life. And I wrote this book in order to write down all these great deep thoughts And important values that I felt my daughters would need at some point in their life when they were ready to read (laughs) and learn at this level. Right now, um, the conversations are a little lighter and the lessons are a little simpler. So this was a way for me to offload and make sure I shared everything I had to share because I view everything I spoke about with my grandma was such a gift and it is valuable nuggets that. Sometimes get lost across generations, and I didn't. I didn't want that to happen in this instance. Well, and I take
1: it from the uh, the title of your first chapter, which is "A Word Before You Go, Grandma," that she's gone.
0: Yes, she passed away about six months before I got married, and she was ninety-one, closing in on ninety-one, actually. Mm. And she did have a chance to meet my now husband at the time, fiancé, and she was thrilled. So that was the good news. I told him, okay, it's a go. (laughs) It's a go. You got the blessing. Um, But uh, she, she was vibrant. And when she went, it was very peaceful because she had lived this absolutely incredible life. She was born in 1910, and she experienced some of the most profound historical events in our country and in the world during her lifetime. And I that informed a lot of the perspective that she brought to the table in our conversation. So they weren't so immediate only to focus on near-term learnings, but it, more so on learnings that happened over a lifetime, over many cycles.
1: Right, right.
0: Well, I, I really envy you because
1: um, one of my grandmothers, who was my father's, mother um passed away the year that I was born, so I I never met her, but I can tell just from looking at pictures of her what a formidable woman she was. And my grandparents um had gone to Brazil in nineteen thirteen and they were missionaries and they, they lived in a, a very, very small community uh kind of in the south of Brazil called Curitiba. And my grandmother, I, I remember hearing the story of her writing on horseback to rio which was then uh that's where the palace was and that's where the president lived and she camped out at the the gates of the palace until the wife of the president agreed to see her because she wanted to talk about prenatal care and in a in a uh, country that was catholic and and you know she also wanted to talk about um, you know, uh, keeping the family sizes maybe a little bit smaller was which wasn't popular. And I mean, I think about doing that in 1913, you know, and holy wow. cow, what a legacy of wisdom I could have garnered from her. So and then my other grandmother, you know, we really only went out to visit them in California every couple of years, and I and she had a stroke fairly early in life, so I, I didn't uh, get a chance to really get to know her. And, you know, when you talk about your daughters, I've got an 18-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son. And neither of them actually ever even got to know my mother, uh, who also had a stroke fairly early in life. Yeah. And, uh, so I, you know, I'm, I'm listening with, uh, and envy isn't the right word. That, that's kind of the negative of, of the longing for what I missed, but, uh, really, really grateful that you got to tap into your grandmother, uh, for, for that very purpose. So was she, uh, your, your mother's
0: mother or your father's mother? she was my mother's mother uh-huh. and she was the daughter of german immigrants so she was mm. first generation here her grandmother came over when she was very young and they settled in chicago in mm. in a neighborhood i'm not sure if you're familiar with chicago but a pretty little much bit. when when immigrants would come over they they all settled in in like communities so the germans would be with the germans yes. the italians you know and so forth So she settled in with the the other Germans and um, she learned English and and no German at the time because they were all in on settling in in the United States. But what it also did is it, it gave her a look at what it takes to have a hunger and what it takes to have a desire to make it work because this was your dream and you wanted it. And she saw that from her mother who basically Mm -hmm. came over and her family rode in steerage on a freighter which caused a lot of sickness it was cold it was dark i mean this was a, a very long journey to get to a promised land in their mind and that brings about a different mindset and a different level of appreciation and even though the the germans in particular in in my family are were very tough people and there were not a lot of outward shows of emotion. There, there was a kind respect and a gentleness that came about when you embraced, you know, work ethic and embraced all these values that were passed down in the family. You could feel that sense of pride, like you were living, you know, with honor for your ancestors. And so it was very interesting listening to her mm. and, and her stories and how she interpreted that and what it felt like, because there were very hard times. Right, And it was really hard. She left school when she was in eighth grade because she had to stay home and take care of her younger siblings because everyone had to work just to survive. It wasn't just a second salary to afford, you know, luxuries. It was basic survival. And so she forewent the education and her younger siblings uh, ended up having more education than she did but it was through her efforts that they were lucky enough to continue on. Right. And so she knew what sacrifice and in a sense of duty was, and she knows it and she knew it through all of these things that she had done and was asked to do and, and embrace them. She didn't rebel against them, even though she may have not been resentful, but like you were talking about that longing. Um, I completely believe if she was living in my time and born in my year she would have gone on and gotten a PhD. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, one of the really fascinating things about this particular book uh isn't just the amazing story of this multi-generational uh the family woven together. It's the fact that you also have woven in practical scientific research. And so, uh, you know, and I love what how they describe it uh, on Amazon, which is the world's greatest thinkers and the world's greatest grandmas are now on the same page when it comes to the impact of applied wisdom in our lives. And, you know, because I've got teenagers and my daughter has just gone off to college and she's actually in uh, Warsaw, Poland at the University of Warsaw. And, you know, my son is still a sophomore in high school. And, you know the one thing that is lacking in our educational system is applied wisdom, and you know they got plenty of learning, right, and plenty of facts and plenty of research, um, but very little that that really turns that into a, a practical toolkit. And I love your second chapter, which is talking about how you fill the wisdom toolbox. Tell me about that conversation.
0: So this toolbox is filled basically by having this insatiable curiosity. And mm. that, is, that is the main ingredient. It's the first ingredient. And, and that is where my grandma started with me as far as developing thought process and developing a perspective on the world and engaging and embracing curiosity so how do we fill our toolbox of things that we're going to need to know and use and basically have at our disposal in our life and those things that tool kit is filled up by our curiosity and being seeking individuals which starts you know very young and um, so that is the step to starting that but what does that mean for people around someone who is curious and curiosity is at any age so when you're right. very little, it's you know, having adults in the area that support a level of questioning and questions and looking at things and taking a moment. For adults, it's never settling, never saying this is what it is. It's saying what if. What if I did right. this or what if I looked into that? So it, it, the, this toolbox is you know, like Mary Poppins' carpet bag. It is the right. thing that just you keep on filling and there's no bottom. But it has to start there. And I I have this path that I cover later in the book. It's wisdom's path. And it's that curiosity that moves to a knowledge base. And then it moves to action because all of this knowledge and curiosity has to lead somewhere Mm -hmm. in order to really utilize the wisdom.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I was just
0: having this conversation with
1: one of my people this morning about how how literal uh, some people can be that, you know, if given a set of instructions, they they actually just take it absolutely at face value. And he was sharing a story about how uh his shoulder was hurting last night so he he needed to put salt in the pool and and here in in Florida you can either have a chlorine pool or a saltwater pool and you actually physically put that big chunky Salt, you know, that they put on roads in in places right. that have snow, right? And <laughs> and so his son was walking around the pool and putting putting the the salt rock into the pool, and you know he got all the way around and there was still some salt left, and and so Tony said, well, you know, just throw it out into the center of the pool, and you know what's coming next. Of course, he throws the bag <laughs> instead of putting the salt in his hand and throwing the salt, <laughs> and and so you know, and this plays right into your next chapter, which is using your head, right? And part yeah. of wisdom is seeing and reading in between the lines. And that intellectual yeah. curiosity that you're describing really has you looking beyond the obvious. Right.
0: And it, it really requires that you're an independent thinker, that you take in information you're told, and you figure out, how do I take action on this? So the the path or the fork in the path for his son was, do I throw the whole bag in or a handful of salt? And obviously he went straight for the bag. And it, <laughs> it, it, it realized you believe that, that you
1: believe that actually popped into his head. i oh, see. I've got a son who well, would do the exact same thing.
0: <laughs> well, and and I was just going to say that's assuming he got to the fork. You know, so right, it's, it's assuming that he got. You know just didn't make a beeline and didn't see the other the other arm of of the path and I think that this thinking and this curiosity has to do with a lot of questioning what am I asking myself what am I asking myself what am I asking of others and but it has to be tied to to action because you don't want to slow down the system because you're in this you know circle of questions and constantly asking so that it has to be purposeful and it has to it has to be that kind of curiosity of saying well i have a couple options up here and and it's knowing that even if you're not quite clear on what that looks at like you have that literal sense and my two girls have very literal senses so i know exactly what she's feeling <laughs> and you know it's it's making sure they're asking themselves do you clearly understand the the outcome you know what right. we're going for so yeah it's the curiosity and the using your head and it's also in that chapter, I cover another aspect of decision making and wisdom, and that is knowing when to take emotion out of decisions. Oh, yes, which is that other part of not only using your head but making sure, you know, there's a, a proper influence from the heart as well.
1: Right, right. And and so you you talk in in the next chapter also about who you are and not what yeah. you are, and. I've got a a group that I participate in here locally. It's a faith based group that we have a a weekend, um, and I'll call it a retreat, although it's much more than that. But we we do that twice a year, and I was I was really disconcerted the first time that I went, and and I kind of went through as a participant rather than somebody serving the participants. And you, you introduced yourself uh, by your name, the church that you went to, and Uh, you know, like your husband's name and your kids' names. I I, I think that was it. And you never said what it was that you did, right? And here I'm this very accomplished, uh, you know, I'm an author and I'm a radio show host and I'm a CEO and I'm an investor and I'm all these things. And, you know, not that that's how I really found my identity, but I was actually really disconcerted that it really was, this whole weekend was about who you are. And, uh, you know, further to the faith piece, you know, kind of whose you are and, and where you find your identity. So, so talk to me a little bit about this one because I'm fascinated by it. So
0: this one is the notion about it, it doesn't matter what circumstances you come from. So you could be the CEO of AT&T or the janitor at the local elementary high school. And mm-hmm. that really doesn't define your, your character. What defines your character is really who you are the the way you carry yourself how you treat other people Um, these are very basic soft skills but it leaves you open to thinking that that next big great idea like the cure for cancer could potentially come from this janitor it doesn't have to come from the lead scientist um, you know at Ross laboratories or Abbott laboratories it could actually come from someone if you're open to it so it's that notion that you know looking at at people for who they are and not getting caught up in what they are and I think this this whole lesson came to uh, my grandma by being an immigrant because immigrants were not treated as you know as it is today too um, right. with open arms you know, there is that, you know, well, we were here first, or we, we know how things work here. We have a leg up on you. There's, there's that one upsmanship that sometimes occurs with people based on what they are and not looking into who they are. And um, so that is, that is more of what she covered just so we could start talk that conversation about, you know, make sure that you are looking at inside what people or who people are rather than the what they are. Because that's when you'll get the gifts from those around you. It also builds up a little bit of humility um, as well as awareness, self-awareness. Right. That becomes very, very important in business. In fact, interestingly enough, the Wall Street Journal has picked up on this whole topic of conversation for the millennial generation now. And those children in the United States um, or other Western economies, but more so in the United States, that are... Coming out from the, their parents' home, and they they lack these soft skills. Right. They don't really understand how to treat other people um, because it's they're they're not always taught substance. Substance does not come through social media, and it doesn't right. come through the sound bites you get out of the, the Hollywood Reporter. So it, mm-hmm. it comes from really learning and meeting people and and understanding who they are at a deep level.
1: Right. Right. Well, and and also I find, and particularly in business, understanding their backstory and the importance of that. And, you know, it's again, relating back to the previous one, how who you are is influenced by where you've been. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that is a substantive conversation. And I, and I can't tell you how often my my 16 year old son has come home and, you know, he's gone to some event and he'll talk about somebody he met there and I'll say, oh, where are they from or where did they go to school? And I mean, he, he doesn't even know those basics because they're not taught how to probe. They can talk about themselves right but mm-hmm. but that ability to probe and that that's part of that intellectual curiosity i mean i can't be in the same room with someone without you know at least asking some probing questions i'm not great at the surface stuff um but uh anyway it, it's
0: just a very very interesting observation it 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 truly is and it's it's how we develop those skills and develop it it cascades into all these things such as relationship boundaries in business and in understanding expectations and perceiving needs it really that's the basis of where a lot of those things start
1: right and then you move on and talk about how wisdom is neither prejudiced nor is it politically correct i'm right. interested in what you have to say about this one since this is such a hot topic in the media
0: today you know, it, it's such a hot topic, and I find missteps being made all over the place in human-to-human reactions. And the basic takeaway from, from this whole conversation is not to assume. Uh, there, there have been studies as far as people walking into a situation and making a snap judgment on what they see in front of them. And in mm-hmm. the, the easiest am- examples to understand are those of race because you can see a difference in skin color. You can see a difference in how someone looks, you know, the shape of their eyes, et cetera. Right. So my my grandmother wanted to be very careful, and she grew up during the civil rights era. And growing up in being and living in Chicago, Chicago to this day has incredible challenges with race relations. Yes. And this this is not that different from when I lived in Chicago, and I lived downtown for about 15 years, and when my mother grew up in Chicago, and my grandmother. So these are challenges that have existed, and they're basically rooted in that need to assume and bucket people into categories based on what an individual knows from their own experience, and how that can really close off a a personal growth and and an outreach to other people that may not look the same. And she wanted to be very careful about making assumptions because she had seen examples of that all around her especially in Chicago and when her neighborhood became more integrated uh, tensions rose because people made assumptions about how others would behave think and ask uh, or what they would be asked to do for them based on you know what they looked like when the right. reality was they were more similar than they were different and mm-hmm. uh, she wanted you know she spoke about that briefly because even staying in Chicago she noticed these changes and she said it's so interesting you know and she drew a lot of parallels and and um conclusions that humans have not changed all that much over time and it's <laughs> and it's how exactly. do we get past that and it's it's about discipline in the mind it's about looking at something or looking at a person that you've never seen before and training yourself to have a knee jerk reaction of of a positive Approach right. that person like I'm going to get to know that person. I want to learn about you. Who are right. you and let let them show you before, you know, before you judge it.
1: Right. And again, I, I came from a family that had really, I would say, zero prejudice. Um, you know, my father was a pastor. Um, you know, both of my parents were missionary kids. And, you know, they just came from an environment, uh, particularly because they both grew up abroad. My mother uh, was born and raised in um, in North Korea. And and uh, my father didn't come back to the States from Brazil until he was, um, you know, in his, uh, I guess, late teens when he came to college. And and so there was zero prejudice. And uh, whereas my husband's family, oh, my God, his father was very, very prejudiced. They they were actually from Southern California. Um, but, uh, you know, it was very interesting. He had had a stroke uh, later in life and we moved um, uh, them from California to Atlanta, where we lived at the time, and of course, when he went into the nursing home there, all of the nurses were black, and and I, you know I always wondered because he didn't he, he wasn't very talkative anyway, but certainly after the stroke he wasn't, and I thought you know how interesting that he played out like the last seven years of his life. Um, you know, living in, in a world where his, his comfort and safety, you know, depended on the very people he had been antagonistic to his whole life. And, you know, one of the interesting things, and again, this kind of leads into the next one, which is wisdom doesn't burn bridges, right? And, and the, the very mm-hmm. person who you may have feared or just not understood may end up being your boss, may end up, end up right. being your caregiver. And and that short-term view that we see right now in, in the young people, um, you mentioned the millennials, and I don't even know what my son's generation is called. But, you know, again, they are not long-term thinkers at all. And so this next one is really
0: about longer-term thinking, right? It is. Oh, it is completely. And you're correct in that this does fall into, you never know when that relationship that you just – Destroyed or may have right. had a sour view on, will be the re- very relationship you rely on, whether it's safety or you know success or what have you. And we, my grandmother had more stories and more examples, and we had more discussion about this aspect. Actually, when I got into corporate America, and and getting into business. So when I was finishing up college, as well as you know, finding my first job out of college because it was very important for her to have me look at every situation of conflict um, in the light of, you know, down the road, what does this look like? And don't react immediately to what's right in front of you. And so watch your tongue, respect relationship, and learn how to walk away if that, if that ultimately is what you need to do rather than burning that bridge and regretting it later.
1: Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and and again, uh, you know, we we just when we aren't focused on relationship as the top priority and it is all about me, then then it is really hard to have that perspective to walk away because we want to win, you know, And, and winning has this bizarre definition of having the last word. Uh You know, anyway, it's it's just been it's been really interesting to watch my son in particular because he's he's uh, very, very different than my daughter. And I came from a family of three girls. And so the whole thing of dealing with boys is just, you know, completely foreign to me.
0: <laughs> very different. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so the next uh chapter really talks about the wisdom of reflecting and and again, yes uh we've just talked about looking uh into the future and having a longer term view uh but some of that is comes from pausing and reflecting yeah
0: yes and really this is this whole notion of reflecting uh, one can interpret that as that's what i do every day i reflect upon you know what has happened to me and where i'm at and that's and that's part of this whole thing But in this respect, the wisdom of reflecting um, actually builds your little wisdom muscle. And what it does is it has you look at the impact or the outcomes of the decisions that you have made, Um, whether they're good decisions or bad decisions. Um, You know, what can you learn from it if it was a bad decision? And if it was a good Uh decision, don't forget to mentally reward yourself and remember what got you to that good decision so that you can replicate it right and cre- create a positive impact going forward uh, rather than and get rid of you know more of the bad decision making and just simply replace it by understanding and learning from what a good decision looks like and how you made it
1: right and and the next chapter also plays into this i believe because if you don't know what you value and, and you exactly. don't have a premise um, for measuring good and bad, and, and I'm not talking about right and wrong, but kind of the good, better, mm-hmm. best uh, scale. Right. That if if uh, if you don't know what you value, I, you know I don't know how how you actually make decisions. Uh, so what what did your grandmother have to say about knowing
0: what you value? Well, it it guides all your decisions and how you walk through life. Uh, because how do you know when big and small decisions you know face you every day how do you know which way you're going to go you know even benjamin franklin understood this notion and i write about his whole list because he he even went down into detail as far as talking about cleanliness where he would not tolerate not being clean you know and so what what does that look like well every day is probably going to wash his face for sure and so it, it's a matter of having all these values in your head. Now, my grandma's values weren't as granular as Benjamin Franklin's. You know, she had, you know, the the notion that wisdom knows no boundaries. Basically, is that opportunity is everywhere, and and she wants you to to ask questions and take things as far as humanly possible or as far as you want to take them. Uh, she also had, you know a stay positive as one of her values. So you're making your decisions every day. You know, reflect back on that. Are you, are you staying positive? When the chips are down and you have to make a decision, you know, do I stick with this? You know, staying positive and saying, I can do this. I just need to persevere and just get through it. So <laughs> right. it, it's those kind of things. It, it's those kind of things. And she had her little short list. It's, you know, slightly different than mine. But, again, it's all always a reflection of the times you're living in. Right. And as well as the family values sewn in.
1: Yes, yes. And and again, some people don't have the benefit of having good family values. I mean, I was very, very fortunate that my parents, because they didn't have money, right? Money money and things were never at play, right? It was always about relationship. And and the that was the long term view is is that You know, you might not have things, but, you know, you've always got the people that are around you and and how important it is to nurture that. Um, You know, so, again, we're not all dealt the same deck of cards, right, in, in having that but, um, you know, I, I want to jump ahead to the next one just because I don't want to run mm-hmm. out of time and, and these are sure. all just so important. Um, and the mm-hmm. next one, um, and by the way, we didn't talk a whole lot about what, what I do, but the interesting thing as an entrepreneur is in the beginning, you have to do everything because you don't have any help. Mm-hmm. And the the next uh, point of wisdom that you bring up in your book is wise people don't know everything and and this is one that you know I know I can do so many things but there are many things I shouldn't do because I'm not the best one I don't have all of the information that I need to be the most effective so I'm interested in what your grandmother had to say you know about not having to know everything and also on this one I'm really
0: interested in what your research told you Oh, excellent. So this is probably one of my favorite sessions, and that is because in in approaching this and the fact that you don't know everything, there is tremendous power in, in living a life and, as you know, being an entrepreneur, where you're going to walk in and you really don't know. So, you know, you rely on educated guesses. You rely on having to fill in blank spaces. Um, and, and not having a level of certainty that most people in their daily life really appreciate having. And it also uh, means being open to failure and the power of failure as as a tool for learning and that not a tool to be feared. And I think right now there's a trend in some education circles uh, to bring about that openness to failure again because they are finding that, Kids are not, are not open to failing. You know, um, kids are being little. Like, I go back to that bag of salt. You know, we, the way we test our kids and, and what we expect of them and how we ask them, we ask them one question and we're expecting one answer. And if you don't know, mark down. Um, and you're not given credit for being very creative when you don't know. So, <laughs> I mean, right. You know, we kind of force them, you know, into, you know, these funnels. Where we say, you know, there's really only one way to think, and that brings about this almost panicked need to know. And if you don't know, it's uh, it brings about insecurity, and uh, you know, and almost a little bit of a panic. You know, we're seeing college students have panic attacks not only because they're struggling with managing their life, because you know maybe they, you know, weren't asked to do a lot or weren't you know weren't responsible for enough in their lives growing up, um, but also because life is not about knowing everything. It's about being able to make a decision and go forward when you don't have all the pieces. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of research in, in the world that talks about, you know, how do you come up with, with the answer? Well, you use various tools. I mean, you use deductive reasoning, um, you know, which just means, you know, using logic to get the right answer, or inductive reasoning, which means you find examples. And you go forward with these examples saying, hey, if it worked in all these cases, it's going to work going forward. So there are lots of things we do to, you know, hypothesize on what we should do going forward. But that takes a certain base of knowledge. It takes some curiosity. And it also takes and perhaps the biggest thing is understanding that you really won't know everything. And you don't have to be worried about that. You just have to make sure you're asking questions and that you're thinking. And and that is where we're at right now with the whole conversation of, oh my goodness, we need these critical thinking skills developed more, um, and why why did they ever go away? Well, right. you know how we test and what we expect has changed, and that's well, the and unintentional outcome.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so true, and you know it's so interesting. And coming back to something we were talking about earlier of, of this um, tendency to be very very literal. Um, I went to the store the other day with my son and I wanted him to go in and get the little pods of coffee and I, I wanted dark roast and it was at a store that I knew carried eight o'clock brand coffee. And so I showed him the picture and I said, but really, if they don't have that, you know, any, any other kind of dark roast will be fine. Well, his, his thought process stopped with seeing the picture and then he went into the store and like five minutes later, I see him walking out empty handed. And he said, uh, they didn't have it. And, um, you know, again, that, that ability to think beyond, you know, what is mom really after? And that is she bought really cheap coffee that tasted horrible, and now she wants better coffee, right? Yeah. And, and and that ability, uh, you know, but, but again, the using their imagination. I, I use another example when I'm interviewing people frequently, uh, you know, I want to get across to them how important it is to me that they use their imagination and go beyond what I'm actually saying that I'm I'm not being directive. I'm just, you know, kind of giving a seed. And I use the example of, you know, if I send you to the store to get me uh, you know, ten Granny Smith apples uh and tell you I'm having a dinner party tonight and you know I'm I'm going to make pie and you get to the store and there are no granny smith apples or there are only the tiny ones and not the big ones and and you know you you don't know whether to get ten um and, and you can't use your imagination to envision the end game which you know to me is that being able to look longer term that if you didn't have the right apples or didn't have the right size apples or no apples at all that you then get in your car and say, Oh, Alessi bakery has a great apple pie. I'm going to get two of them. One with, you know, the crumb topping and one, you know, with the regular uh, crust. And, you know, now you're going to have a great dinner party tonight. You won't have to worry about the pie because I know you're busy. Right. And that kind of imagination to, to envision the end game, Um, you know, is so, so very important. And and again, you talk about that same curiosity in the next chapter about this being one of those wisdom paths of the curiosity to knowledge to action, you know, which again is is the, the story I just told is a very simplistic view of
0: that. But in business, I want people who think that way. That's right. That's right. And who have that ability to go through those leaps and get to the answers they need before moving on. Mm-hmm. And and that takes that initial all of the all of these things that that I include in this book. Many people know it's it, it, the way the uniqueness that how I present it offers is how they're sewn together. And how one flows from the other yes this, this is a bigger picture but this basically breaks down this this whole process into several different pieces and then attempts to sew them together in a very clear and fun way as well as backing it up with you know some some research and data just that that helps you understand how that looks in the real world or how it's applied in in the real world right
1: Right. And, you know, so the next one, and, and I keep coming back to the kids side of things and knowing that you have kids, it, it's kind of an important way to look at life, uh, sometimes even as business people. The next one is about why wise people plan goals and not guarantees. And I've been having this dialogue with my son uh, because he would like to be a marine biologist. And that's not really mm. his goal, right? His his goal is to be able to work outside near the water near fish, right? Because mm-hmm. fishing yep. is his love and his passion. And and you know, here he is. He's he's almost 17, but he's a sophomore in high school. Um he doesn't have a driver's license, he doesn't have a job. The school he'd like to go to, um their their tuition out of the gate is $54,000 a year, and if he had Uh, an A plus plus average, he might get a $24,000 scholarship. And if he is a really, really good tennis player, you know, he might get a tennis scholarship on top of that. But that, you know, there are no guarantees here of, of him getting into the school. And he actually has to have a plan that says it would be a really good idea for me to start saving so that I can you know, pay for this education that I would like to have. Um, or maybe I should look at the University of Warsaw where my sister is, where tuition is 5000 a year.
0: Right? <laughs> 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 He's got options. Uh, you know, to start off, um, the big thing and what research has found, and I, I talk about it, is that um, he should start off by writing it down. And the action steps to get him there, because then it would maybe illuminate the fact that he needs a superior GPA to um, maybe facilitate the financing end of it. It's a little um, late for that, but (laughs) he'll have good grades. But superior
1: is out of the question now that we are halfway through the sophomore year.
0: Yeah so now now he might just be um having the goal and those action steps will illuminate the the options he has now that he's at a sophomore point point. and right. that that was something that you know my that I spoke about my grandma spoke about and we we knew about just in business you know I I was always assigned MBOs or main business objectives right. uh they they were a popular mechanism in corporate America to make sure that You incentivize employees to meet you know certain objectives and they would get a certain percentage raise if they were successful Them, and that's how we were measured and that whole notion of having that MBA hang over me gave me great focus in my daily work life because I knew at the end of the day it was going to be how I was measured and and that is one way to think of not only goal setting but why does wisdom even matter because wisdom is going to be the way we decide the path to getting to that goal. And that's how right. that all ties in. And, you know, and then there's that, Oh, by the way, write it down because, you know, the studies have shown that you have a higher chance of achieving success. I think it was a uh, Dominican university was the university that, that did the study on goal writing. And um, basically it, it's a way to solidify in your mind, that that outcome and um, that's why it's so important and again wisdom is a great wisdom is a great idea but when it's really powerful is when it's put to action
1: right right and the next chapter is is one that uh, I'm not surprised is included but but as you take a look we've been talking uh, about a lot of very concrete kinds of things and the next one is really about gratitude uh, appreciating what you have and uh again, I'm not at all surprised that this was one of the the points of wisdom from from your grandmother uh, but But share us a little a little about that.
0: you know I think the the main reason why this started coming up is when I went out on my own and life starts dealing you a hand of cards, and it might not be the exact hand you either expected or wanted or thought you were going to get. Uh, it's really important to have that ability, that skill to sit back and say, but look at all that I do have. And that gives you that that centering ability so that you can go out and figure out how to, to make your hand better or figure out how to fix whatever you feel needs fixing in your life. And, you know, I had some real tough, Um, situations, especially early on in my my corporate existence, where I would run into people that were very difficult to deal with, Um, you know, one that even was the person I directly reported into, and that makes for a very uncomfortable day-to-day work life (laughs) when (laughs) when there are some, you know, fundamental differences that get in the way of you achieving what you agreed to achieve for the company that hired you. So it's, you know... Bottom line is appreciate step one, I have a job now. How do I fix what I'm in? That was the next step. And so we talked a lot about that. And she was a person who appreciated everything because she knew what it was to have nothing. Right. And in fact, a, a funny story, bringing it back to child rearing, but I suppose this would work with adults, is whenever, and this goes for when my children were very young, When whenever they started getting a little too honorary and a little too difficult to deal with, um, I would you know, just calmly ask them, why don't you go upstairs and pick out five of your best toys games and, and let's give them to someone who might really appreciate them. <laughs> and, and the goal of that was not only keeping a lid on this toy overload in our house, but right. it was also forcing them to look at everything they physically had because again, they're children. You know, physical tangibles much easier to understand than the abstract. And so they could really physically look at what they had, and what they were willing to part with, and really appreciate everything, including the stuff they were giving away. And it was one of those ways to teach that ability to appreciate. Which is mm, why I love it. I suppose it would work on adults too, right? If you really look <laughs> at everything that comes to. What am I willing to donate or give to someone who could really use you know a hand up absolutely absolutely well we're we're running
1: out of time, but I do want to mention some of the other things that are included uh in in this amazing book about wisdom uh talking about kindness and goodness and truth and decorum um uh, also, one that is not surprising, that it's actually wise people, uh, you know, who do the work, right? We actually yes. do the work to get things done. And, and also, we think for ourselves, which plays into so many of those other things that we've already talked about. Um, Gabrielle, if, if someone wants to follow you or get in touch with you, uh, to have you perhaps speak at an event about, about this whole topic of wisdom, because I think we all benefit from it, how do they
0: get in touch with you? Great. Well, the first way, if they want me to come and and speak to an organization or a group, would be my website, which is legacyofwisdom.zone. And they can get a hold of my firm that, that helps me with all these engagements. And that would be the fastest and most effective way. And then if they simply want to follow what we have going on Twitter, that's easily done at Legacy of Wisdom 7, as in the number, not spelled out, but Legacy of Wisdom 7.
1: Well, it has been really wonderful, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, this is a topic that is just, uh, well, uh, many topics obviously are are wrapped into this book, but you've just done a masterful job of uh, really laying out how, how both kids and adults should be behaving, and, mm-hmm. and how, if you're frustrated in, in your current situation, how you can actually improve it, because I think it all comes down to one of these things that, um, or perhaps many of them, that, that you're not doing well, or that you didn't have the, the wonderful background of having parents or grandparents who left that legacy for you.
0: Correct. Well, thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate you having me, and you've been a joy to speak with.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. That's always good to hear on a Friday. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Friday the 13th. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you very much. All right, Gabrielle. It's been terrific, and have a super weekend.
0: You too. Thank you.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to The Game Changer, ideas, inspiration, innovation, with Chickie Fitzgerald.